Hello and welcome everyone to Disruption Demystified, a podcast dedicated to bringing you all things fintech, digital and disruption, proudly brought to you by Codebase Technologies, a global fintech services provider. My name is KP and I will be your host for today's session, which is also our first ever episode. Joining us today, we have Samir Khan, APEC Managing Director and FinTech Professional with over 40 years of experience in the business. Thank you for joining us today, Samir. Thank you, KP. It's a pleasure to be here. You are very welcome. And for today, um, we're going to be talking about one of the most discussed topics of late, open banking. And in particular, we're going to be speaking about what open banking looks like from an infrastructure perspective and what the ecosystem of APIs look like. So, Samir, let's start with uh, open banking. We're hearing a lot about open banking and API infrastructure. And, you know, with code-based technologies being an API-based solutions provider, um, what's the deal with, with, with all of that? Right. Uh, a good question, uh, KP, about, uh, you know, uh, from a perspective of uh, choosing to speak about, uh, you know, API infrastructure. Um, but, you know, I, I just want to take one uh, step, uh, you know, back, if you will, uh, from uh, from understanding, first, first trying to share our thoughts, you know, as an organization and what my thoughts are around uh, why uh, uh, why API um, or the uh, the API framework has now uh, you know people have been talking about it for uh, uh, you know over five years uh, and there have been a lot of conversation and uh, of course uh, which also means that uh, financial institutions as well as technology service providers have uh, uh, done a fair bit of uh, 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 there's a fair bit of growth, I would say, yep. uh, from both consumption as uh, as well as uh, creating that infrastructure. And therefore, I guess, uh, uh, you know, the infrastructure piece becomes uh, quite pertinent and, and rightfully so, we must speak about uh, the infrastructure, right? Yep. So yep. I, I guess, uh, uh, you know, when people start talking about uh, APIs, uh, uh, you know, it's it's... Uh, what's what's never spoken about is uh, uh, how uh, you know how this uh, what what it takes uh, what does it take from from uh, having these uh, uh, APIs made available or uh, you know accessing uh, uh, the ecosystem uh, that uh, that banks have or financial institutions have today, right? So. Yeah. Uh, and and there's a term that uh, has been coined uh, in the financial services circles uh, called as financial plumbing. You know, right. uh, which means uh, you know we we know the taps, we we see the water, we we know how to uh, you know uh, dispense or avail hot water or cold water. Uh, but but then there is a complete back end or the infrastructure, if you will, uh, which is uh, you know the entire plumbing behind which often gets unnoticed, you know, yep. so, so it's important, uh, uh, you know, to uh, speak about it, to make that uh, as uh, make that aware uh, to to organizations and to, uh, you know, to the audience at large. Yep. Uh, so they, they uh, have that as a knowledge base, uh, and therefore understand better uh, how we do uh, things at Codebase and uh, why uh, and and how this whole uh, 
EPI economy thrives because, uh, and when I said that there's been some, uh, a fair amount of work being, uh, which has been put in uh, over the last five years, uh, it also means that uh, uh, the kind of work that's put been put in uh, is essentially, uh, uh, you know, on an infrastructure level, uh, right. a lot of it for that matter. Uh, so, uh, and in order to, uh, so, so uh, some of the smarter minds in the industry, and especially when I say that, I, I mean, uh, uh, you know, people who provide uh, or, uh, and banking and technology has married itself in such a way that, uh, you know, uh, uh, I think banking without technology uh, is something that one can't really imagine uh, anymore, right? So it's all yeah, yeah. very tech driven, right? So which means... Uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, in the five years uh, or or maybe more for that matter, uh, a lot of uh, tech minds decide, you know, I've seen them in action in putting up a, a thought pool uh, of having a certain infrastructure in place that allows for um, information exchange, data exchange uh, in a more simpler manner uh, right. than uh, the traditional way of uh, accessing systems and accessing data. So if I was to, you know, uh, uh, explain or share, uh, you know, in my experience uh, of how things were done earlier, um, uh, and most of most of the audience would be aware about this in any case, you know, uh, <laughs> but at the risk of, uh, you know, revisiting uh, that kind of framework, what really happened what was happening earlier still happens today, but what was uh, what happened earlier was uh, if any business wanted to um, uh, participate in uh, uh, in providing services, which could be uh, either purely from a financial services perspective, or uh, and, and a good example of that would be uh, you know uh, a, a business which is not a bank but uh, has appetite to lend you know so they have uh, you know they have a large fund pool or an access to a fund pool and they want to um, you know provide uh, loans to either to an sme market or to a retail market right so um, if they had to go about doing their business uh, uh, it would warrant for them to uh, of course have their own application that would manage the entire life cycle of, uh, uh, you know, gaining customers, managing customers, dispensing those loans, and then managing those loans and collections and, you know, and so on and so forth, right? Yep. Um, uh, and then, uh, but they wouldn't be able to do this by themselves. So they would have to definitely work with a bank because it's the bank that holds the money, right? So uh, it's your vault. Uh, uh, you know, uh, so, uh, if, and if they had to work with a bank, then it would mean that they would have to take their application and um, they would probably have to speak to a bank and then, um, you know, and that cycle of speaking to the bank and making it, uh, uh, selling that value proposition, um, also from a perspective that they would be competing with a bank and not that banks look at it as a healthy, unhealthy competition because, uh, you know, not all banks can address all markets, right? So right, there right. would be a market segment that uh, they would feel that the business addresses uh, that market segment in a healthier fashion. 
uh, than the bank would have the appetite for. So, but but in in, in coming back to the the underlying theme, the for for them the integration between these two, uh, their application and and the bank's application, and I would say bank's applications. You know, I would put an S after it because it's uh, it's a plural thing because it's not just one application that they would have to integrate with there would be multiple different applications and depending upon what uh, services or what line of business this uh, organization would want to do you know in case of let's say uh, a payment business uh, they uh, if they came up and people have like revolute and so many other organizations that we can name right now um, you know if you wanted to make payments uh, uh, available uh, in an easier fashion uh, you would uh, potentially have to still speak to the bank and then you uh, would need a vehicle for that payment, right? So that payment could uh, uh, be made only through an instrument and that instrument could be actually a, a, a physical card uh, or and, and now because of technology and smartphones, it would be, uh, it can be virtual cards, right? right so. Right. Uh, and then, uh, whether virtual or whether you know physical, uh, you, you uh, your application needs to start working uh, and uh, integrating with the bank's you know card management system because uh, you know cards, uh, whether they are debit cards or credit cards, uh, you know um, the banks own the bins, so basically you know they have all that data. Mm-hmm. And uh, special integration, I mean, some integration would need to be done there. And then after that, uh, you know, in the whole ecosystem of financial services, you have so many other players. Uh, you have Visa Master, you know, you have, uh, you know, card processors uh, like um, ACI or uh, ACH payment gateways and so on, you know. So, mm-hmm. uh, so which would warrant for actually uh, for the business to really... Uh, uh, converse, uh, convince, and, uh, 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 not, you know, to a level where, uh, uh, you know, they partner and they uh, uh, have an execution plan uh, for this integration. And then let's not forget that this integration would also mean bringing in a team of people who understand systems on both the sides, the bank's infrastructure, bank side, you know, the applications there, and uh, also also from the business side, the the uh, problem that the business is trying to solve and understand that application and figure out a way uh, for, uh, you know, these two, you know, multiple applications to communicate with okay. each other, right? So, uh, so traditionally, um, you know, the, it's not that business didn't happen. I mean, there were, you know, PayPal started at one point of time and PayPal started nearly 30 years ago. Uh, so it was a fintech in its own way, you know, uh, right. uh, probably one of the earliest fintechs that uh, we never, t- the, probably they they happened at a time when uh, when fintech was not even coined as a word, right? So, uh, so, uh, so really it is, uh, uh, you know, so, so I can imagine what it would have taken for PayPal to actually uh, get into that, uh, you know, get into providing payment solutions uh, it meant a lot of integration and a lot of things at that point of time, right? But um, what what's really happened uh, from an API perspective and bringing our conversation and focus to APIs, um, it's, it's now simpler, uh, very simply put, uh, and to make it easier for our audience to understand, uh, you know, uh, 
one doesn't need to speak to multiple different entities to actually offer uh, a, a certain or solve a certain business problem. Mm -hmm. uh, they would potentially come to uh, one or two single, you know, uh, players, uh, uh, one of them being, you know, like someone like Codebase, for example, we do this, right? We, we marry fintechs with banks, we help that process. And, uh, you know, uh, so, so they would speak to somebody like Codebase or, you know, the other players in the market as well uh, that do not do what Codebase does. But, you know, they would uh, necessarily, the way to go about this would be to have just uh, a conversation with uh, a few players who mm -hmm. would have that channel of integration. And I guess uh, that uh, that integration comes in from a, a more innovative, newer technology platform, which uh does not involve too much of uh you know uh, i mean uh, what's real, like when i guess the theme has been that uh, people uh, position themselves as players in the market and and uh, the way codebase does that uh, you know how we speak or what we say to our customers is uh, you know we have a stack today uh, of 477 apis across different functions of the bank, uh, be it KYC, loans, customer onboarding, and so on. But, uh, you know, our target is to have 900 APIs uh, by the end of the year. Uh, uh, to make that, uh, and why are we doing this? Is because uh, this uh, will be, uh, you know, this will be like a library in, in a, you know, you enter the library, you have all these APIs that help you achieve different uh, things, uh, yeah. you know, and we'll talk a little bit about innovation later, but uh, it allows you for uh, to execute, uh, simply put, in the fastest way, because it's just a plug and play. So right. you could have a very old 25-year-old uh, legacy system, mm -hmm. uh, which probably uh, was built in in-house by the bank, by the bank's IT team. Yeah. Um, and and probably that's the best system uh, for the bank, at the, uh, you know, even today, I would say that, uh, you know, I've heard you, KP, in conversations with customers and you say that we we never uh, ask you to rip and replace, right? Well, exactly. What we say is we will come in and uh, we will look at your system and we'll find a way of how to uh, integrate uh, two systems without really uh, making too much of change within both the systems, right? And uh, so we have connectors and we, we can look at the oldest probably legacy platforms and uh, and see, uh, you know, connect them, uh, dated applications, dated platforms to new age, uh, you know, uh, natively digital uh, platforms, right? So, right. Uh, so uh, through APIs. So, uh, 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 and that that in itself has uh, created, um, you know, a, a ease of uh, rolling out several innovative ideas. And, you know, I just wanted to touch at this stage uh, on uh, why, um, you know, why APIs has become such a hot topic and why, uh, you know, many banks talk about it, you know, you hear podcasts around it and, uh, uh, and there are very various forums uh, in which exactly. this has been. Yeah, you know, people have been talking about it, right? And mm -hmm. uh, you and I have, uh, you know, participated in some, and and uh, we we talk about it with so many people, uh, you know, on a day-on-day -day basis, right? So yeah. I guess uh, you know, just for the uh, 
for, for our audience today, you know, uh, you know, our, our thought process is that I guess uh, one of the reasons why uh, APIs have become uh, a very uh, a, a directed approach for financial institutions and tech service providers is to uh, at large to uh, you know generally foster a lot more innovation uh, from a financial services viewpoint, meaning there are new business models, new revenue models, you know, new products and services. Uh, which otherwise would not be possible because uh, most of the data, uh, you know, uh, uh, resides in the four walls of a bank, and uh, and innovation as such means that you uh, innovation could be outside the bank, right? Completely outside the bank, you know, it could be a bunch of people who think that okay, this is a good way of probably making payments uh, at restaurants you know a good example is you could reach a uh, reach you could start shopping uh, you know at at uh, at fair price or a cold storage or a carrefour uh, and and then uh, somebody would say that uh, you know let's let's make it happen in such a way that uh, once they make a payment i i want probably they'll get their salaries uh, in the next uh, the you know in the next two weeks so while they make that payment today uh, you know, uh, they may or may not have the entire money in the account in their savings account, but right. but uh, the payment would still uh, be provided. Uh, but the bank could, uh, or you know, they, the idea could be that some financial institu- institution can actually underwrite that payment and mm-hmm. make that payment available to the merchant uh, right. today, and then collect that payment uh, from the account uh, in twenty days when when the when the salary gets credited into that account right, right. so, so this, that like is innovation a, yeah like a buy now pay later sort of exactly system. exactly right. that's 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 uh, and that that's going to become very big uh, you know uh, and you know you and i have you and i have had some conversations around that so that's probably something that we'll visit in in our episodes to come mm-hmm. and uh, uh, so uh, and that's innovation and i guess the idea was that uh, innovation uh, requires access to data uh, and banks hold an enormous amount of data because from the time you open an account mm-hmm. uh, to the time, uh, you know, and as time passes, you know, the bank, ha- you know, bank knows exactly your uh, patterns. And today in the in the field of data science, you know, you must have seen and we, you know, we talk about this as well, right? That from a services industry perspective, from IT services, the system integrators that we speak to, you know, uh, they talk about AI, uh, robotic process automation, and uh, a lot of data science projects that are happening in the marketplace, right? Uh, what is that exactly? I guess, uh, you know, the idea, I mean, the thing being that uh, there's a lot of data, uh, transactional data, uh, you know, uh, data of, of how, People spend what they earn, and that, uh, and how the money moves, right? So right. that in itself uh, can help uh, with with AI models can help banks to understand a lot more uh, about customer or a consumer behavior. Uh, but it it if that if if they if the bank if it's it's a bank's if it. Uh, how should I put it? I mean, uh, if a bank has to own the responsibility of taking that data and innovating, you know, right. we're going to see banks becoming very heavy uh, in terms of manpower and banks 
uh, will become like large tech organizations. They'll have about, you know, a smaller mid or a mid-sized bank would be as big as 50,000 people. And, you know, that, that, that kind of makes the focus go away from banking to something else altogether. Uh, and the best way to, you know, overcome this problem, or this is not even a problem, but one of the best ways to uh, to allow this innovation would be for anybody outside the ecosystem, inside the ecosystem, to come up with an idea and, uh, and see how uh, uh, you can move that idea from the drawing board to actually applying it in, in the ecosystem, which means access to technologies. And if you have uh, you know, if if the bank institution uh, has an API first approach, you know, and everything is built around, uh, you know, uh, at the end as your communication channel being uh, APIs, you know, uh, yep. it will uh, allow for people to think out of the box and really create innovation. Um, you know, I guess one of the other uh, key issues uh, or key problems that uh, APIs have been solving uh, has been the cost of and and we just spoke about it you know in what I was saying right now that uh, uh, traditionally you had to speak to so many people uh, there was so much of integration needed to be done and therefore uh, which also meant that uh, the cost of actually uh, getting something up and running was very high and was a deterrent, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we have seen in the last five or, you know, for, you know, uh, and I keep saying five years, but, you know, five is since seven, five, seven years, we've seen uh, payments being offered in multiple ways. You know, we, we uh, used uh, special, you know, specifically in Singapore, we had the, option of using uh, the nets uh, framework and using okay. nets payments uh, you know and then uh, we learned about uh, you know google uh, android and uh, ios or apple uh, coming up with their own payment uh, you know uh, uh, payment uh, you know services so to speak right. and then samsung itself which is a large player in the android space has Samsung Pay. So mm -hmm. uh, different channels of uh, payments uh, started to come about to a level today uh, that uh, I'm sure you must have heard me in conversations that payments are now a commodity, you know. So exactly. you, know, you don't really make too much money from payments, mm -hmm. but uh, also that your, your end customer uh, naturally uh, is expecting you to provide multiple forms of payments and the easiest form um, so multiple easy quick fast and low cost payments that right. is a given you know uh, you know you can imagine right i mean uh, if you if you were to uh, avail a card today right and and if the uh, uh, and the card uh, or the bank that was offering you a card said that uh, yes you can you can buy off amazon you can buy off ebay but per transaction it's going to cost you 10 dollars Right. Uh, and if uh, if, you know, uh, we bank with uh, one of the local banks out here and they said that they come to us and say that use our card. We'll for every transaction, you don't have to pay us. We'll, in fact, collect points and then you can capitalize those points and make some money out of it, you know, in terms of credits or some discounts on some, uh, you know, items that you would buy through that card. Right. So which is a winning proposition? Somebody who's actually 
giving you money rather than taking money from you uh, per transaction, right? So, uh, so obviously, uh, uh, I guess uh, how APIs have helped is that uh, they have actually removed uh, multiple uh, intermediaries, uh, you know, middlemen in the, and I think the easiest way was to first start in country and then uh, then look at cross border payments, right? So now, in in uh, as we speak today, uh, you know, you uh, there are already frameworks in place where uh, you can one can transfer money from Singapore into Thailand, and it's just like a fast payment. Meaning, uh, if if we do a payment within Singapore, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, it you get it immediately, instantly in your account. Yep. Uh, it, uh, you know, so that's real time payment and. Uh, in in and there's certain initiatives that are being running where uh, the same happens between uh, Singapore, Thailand, Thailand, Singapore, and uh, Maybank has done something where uh, between Maybank, between Malaysia and uh, Cambodia, uh, it's a real time payment recognition, right? So which right. means that uh, you know you see the money instantly, right? And and I think the world is moving in bits and pieces. Uh, uh, and I'm not, you know, uh, you know, this is a very Asia uh, uh, spe- or APAC specific conversation. Uh, I think if we started looking at GDPR uh, and when in GDPR, if we started looking at Europe, it would be a very, uh, you know, uh, they, they had a head start, uh, you know, they were ahead of the curve uh, and uh, real time payments actually is happening between multiple uh, European countries. Uh, yep. And that's been mandated, so to speak. And uh, at some, you know, because regulation, uh, it was, it's a highly regulated, they took a regulated approach. Right. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's made it happen very successful in Europe. I think that, you know, uh, I think one of the last drivers has been that if uh, you have multiple uh, ways of connecting different uh, systems, to achieve a business outcome, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, then, uh, you know, how would you put a governance in place? And again, I'm bringing exactly. it back to GDPR, right? Yep. So, uh, you know, open APIs uh, has, uh, if you adopt it as a standard uh, and you put a regulate, whether you put a regulation or not in place, but if that's your common language of uh, connecting between systems, then there is some governance that uh, or some secure at least if not governance there is better security uh, because uh, you know um, uh, there was always uh, screen scraping that was happening there was sms scraping that was happening and people were not aware about it meaning uh, you know there was a lot of data being already uh, pulled out or data being shared uh, and there were no checks and balances but having a policy or having uh, you know, uh, uh, taking the route of open banking, which all regulators have and countries have actually, uh, you know, uh, uh, proactively become part of that phenomenon, you know, API phenomenon um, uh, uh, has ensured that uh, it meets, uh, it uh, warrants for better security. Uh, yeah. And, so, and, you know, just, just to, just to, to, you know, bring to attention something else. I'm glad you mentioned uh, something along the lines of regulation because, you know, that's the other sort of issue that's often discussed when we talk about uh, open banking and data sharing. So in your perspective, Samir, how do you think, uh, you know, security 
uh, protocols, regulation. How is this going to be shaping up the world of uh, open banking and open API technology? And what do you then foresee the future of this industry to be? Right. Good question again, KP. So I think, uh, you know, uh, from from what I've seen and my view on this uh, has been uh, pretty much, I mean, you know, the choice has been uh, different uh, with in different geographies. So, of course, this is a very geography driven uh, question because okay. it warrants that it basically me also asks, uh, you're also asking in a way that, uh, you know, uh, how, uh, which regulator is going to take what stance, right? Exactly. And, uh, and the stance that uh, the, the option of the stances are really just two on a broader level. Uh, you know, they're just two stances that regulators are taking. Mm-hmm. And uh, the stances, either they take a completely, they, they, uh, they do a regulatory driven approach, which means the regulators say that, well, we are embarking on a open banking, uh, you know, open API journey, and we have a defined timeline and certain uh, uh, services, certain products uh, will have to comply and they put a framework in place. Uh, uh, and that framework involves data uh, privacy, you know, being mindful of what and, uh, you know, how data is being uh, uh, shared and who owns the data, you know. So, uh, you know, from a GDPR perspective or even if you look at Singapore from a PDPA perspective, uh, perspective, sorry, uh, uh, you know, the consumer or or you and I own our data, right? So yep. my data, uh, I have the right to that, you know. And uh, uh, then, um, of course, uh, you know, when, when you're using my data, uh, you will have to seek my consent. So, you know, there are consent management put in place, uh, you know, in right. that framework. So, uh, you know, when a regulatory approach is taken, then, you know, all those checks and balances of how data would flow, what, who owns it, who has the right to it, how is that consent sought, and how uh, uh, how do the users of that data ensure to the regulators that there's no misuse of that data, right? So you're not uh, misusing that data, but you're using that data to provide better services, and you and on that basis you see consent, right? Now. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we've seen that, uh, of course, Europe, uh, you know, uh, so, you know, I'll speak a little bit about Europe before I move out of there. So Europe, uh, you know, it put in place, uh, you know, a, a payment uh, uh, services directive before PSD2 uh, came in, there was, uh, you know, PSD1. And I guess uh, what uh, what what the, fir- the first directive was to ensure that uh, you know, payments was made simpler, faster, uh, a lesser of a lesser cost, so to speak, between the European Union, uh, and uh, and that also put into place a certain, uh, 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 you know, for want of a better word, certain uh, appetite that got created uh, or a comfort that got created. Uh, yep. which was compliance to a certain framework, right? So they they put, uh, you know, so for them, they started out with a regulatory framework. Uh, it was successful. Uh, it got rolled out. People, uh, all the countries and banks in those countries complied. And hence, uh, to embark on an open banking journey, 
they put in PSG2 uh, and GDPR from both a data governance perspective and uh, to make, uh, you know, uh, payments, cross-border payments uh, uh, as a real-time uh, phenomenon uh, using APIs. I think uh, uh, it was easy for them to continue with that because they already had experienced uh, a regulatory approach and seeing the success of it, uh, right. it was a lot easier for them to just take uh, a regulatory stance on it, right? Definitely, that no, makes sense. Yeah, and but what 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 really happens, uh, KP here, is that uh, when when it's a regulation, it's a law, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so banks, you know, the reaction of the banks would be uh, different. Banks would have different reactions. You know, some would welcome it, but I can tell you, uh, uh, you know, I, I've spoken, you know, in the last. 30 years i've spoken to so many banks and uh, you know at least during the during the time when uh, uh, psg2 was being rolled out and today when people are migrating from uh, you know swift uh, mt fin to uh, iso 2022 mm -hmm. uh, you know uh, uh, and this is not a, a, a conversation around that uh, change but essentially uh, you know the banks uh, uh, I'm just talking about the sentiment behind it. Banks tend to then become uh, a little, a, a sense of anxiety has been, starts to creep in with certain mm -hmm. banks because, you know, when you're saying open banking, you're also saying that, uh, you know, all the, I'm a bank, I have all the data, I have a huge customer pool. Uh, I know exactly their spending patterns, their earning patterns. I know the risk that, uh, you know, um, I can allocate to every single, uh, you know, bank account holder, and then I can offer them certain products and so on. But now if I have to, because of innovation, <clears throat> and because if there is a regulation, uh, which is law, and by law, I have to share this data to third party players, meaning to an external ecosystem. How will that affect my business? You know, yep. maybe I might start losing, uh, you know, uh, there is a threat to uh, data being shared outside, right? So, uh, so banks uh, react in two ways. We've seen that happen in Europe, where uh, you know many banks were resistant to this idea, uh, but uh, but uh, it it got uh, 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 they had to they had to comply with it. You know, one way or right. the other, that compliance had to happen, right? So, uh, so. Uh, because it was a regulation, right? But then uh, one has to also be mindful of the fact that, and this is wearing a regulator uh, hat now, that when you uh, when you take a regulatory driven approach, you also have to know for sure. You also have to be mindful that uh, uh, when you're changing, uh, when you're putting a you know such a framework in place, it costs money. So for all banks to then uh, be compliant, they have to spend, uh, you know, either large sums of money or, uh, you know, I would I wouldn't, you know, quantify the amounts, but I would just say that there is a certain uh, mandatory spend and sometimes the spend is large. And that's why, you know, th there's always a phased approach that they would just like in Hong Kong, which has taken a regulatory driven approach uh, mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, phase one would be, uh, loans and and so on and then phase two will be uh, trade finance and certain other aspects and so on and so forth right so uh, there's a whole timeline so that it allows for banks to budget it allows for banks to take uh, 
not to you know suddenly spend a large amount of money in mm-hmm. the uh, journey towards uh, compliance right uh, regulatory compliance for open banking so some uh, in some geographies uh, uh, it has been uh, man i mean they have the, you know the regulators have taken a, or the governments have taken a very regulatory driven approach uh, because uh, that that works for them uh, they also have uh, planned it in a way which does not become a deterrent for a bank but there's always that anxiety of uh, sharing data exactly. and i wouldn't say that you know any other approach will resolve that problem uh, you know that anxiety will persist uh, unless banks start to see value which now they have started to see a lot of value right mm-hmm. so uh, you know new products are out in the market we, we just spoke of bnpl you know buy now pay later and that by itself banks wouldn't want to do it by themselves and the third party uh, players who come in into the ecosystem help them do that and uh, that's a value that they see and therefore they can you know sleep well uh, you know knowing that it was the right action and they to to take to to you know build that api stack and so on right uh, i think also geography plays an important role in certain geographies it's easier to uh, mandate uh, uh, you know a certain uh, way of doing things or taking a regulatory approach and then uh, compliance towards that uh, i think uh, uh, but when you start looking at uh, you know um, emerging markets i would say right uh, the cost of uh, rolling out uh, a, a regulatory driven uh, a mandate would would not make sense really because uh, the cost would be so high and these are emerging markets with uh, uh, you know where not everybody has access to all kinds of services right so yes uh, today digital currency and when i say digital currency i mean uh, you know cashless a cashless marketplace so there are you know there are you know uh, countries in africa yep. uh, you know places in indonesia where the population is very large and then we also have uh, uh, you know in some of these you know some of our asia pacific markets we have a huge uh, flow of migrant workers coming in from um, uh, you know under how should i put it uh, uh, you know uh, uh, cheaper economies uh, or emerging economies to uh, you know affluent economies uh, to uh, uh, and there's a labor arbitrage out there you know so so people move and when people move they don't have uh, you know uh, they don't ha- what what really happens is that their their identity in a new country uh, uh, to for a bank to identify them and then uh, to offer them financial service products uh, does become a challenge uh, we see that uh, predominantly in the migo- migrant worker community but you know and we are we are, we are out here to solve those problems as well and right. we can talk about that but uh, you know but m- many markets have taken a, a very market driven approach uh, therefore because what they feel is that let's uh, we everybody has to be you know there is there there are a lot of merits in adopting uh, you know a, you know being part of the uh, api economy yep. you know and uh, to to be part of that i think to compel banks to uh, take uh, a certain route 
maybe come. Yeah, sorry, Samir, you were saying. Yeah. So I was, uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, <clears throat> if, if, and I was saying that, you know, if this was mandated, uh, while there is merit, you know, it, it, probably uh, would be a, a challenge for banks to adopt it because, uh, you know, in emerging markets, the problems that you solve uh, or open open banking really solves mm -hmm. is uh, is very different. And I think one of the uh, one of the uh, pivotal problems that uh, open banking, open API or the API economy is trying to solve in emerging markets is financial inclusion. Uh, and uh, with, with and by that, what it means is that in in these economies, we see uh, uh, either we see a large pool of customers who are totally unbanked, meaning they have no access to financial services, uh, and or they have access, they have bank accounts, right. but very limited, uh, you know, uh, uh, access to uh, financial services. And what that really means is that. Uh, you know, they're not, uh, they don't have access to loans. They don't have, uh, in many cases, access to insurance, uh, hospital insurance, general insurance, uh, when I say that, you know, uh, house insurance, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, uh, microfinance, you know, they might not have the full suite of, uh, they can't walk up to a bank and, you know, like, uh, how we, uh, uh, how we, have come to understand that uh, in an urban area, we can just walk into a bank and get a credit card or a debit card or open an account so quickly, right? So exactly. in these underserved markets, it becomes a bit of a challenge. So I guess that is, uh, um, uh, and in those markets, uh, mm -hmm. the 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 approach that's predominant has been very uh, market-led. And, uh, uh, you know, what I mean with that is, uh, what is really market led right so what can what can uh, what can the government or the regulator or the large banks in that re in that marketplace or in that geography uh, and or technology players can really do uh, i guess what's done let's talk about what's done so in, in singapore we we uh, where mas uh, is uh, you know uh, four regulators rolled up into one you know yep. so uh, you know they 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 are a single regulator that manages all forms of uh, financial uh, uh, all all financial uh, companies so to speak be it banks insurance funds whatever they might be uh, so uh, so what they believed is that let's put some platforms in place so there are societal platforms there are, uh, you know, uh, registry, uh, you know, national registry systems. Uh, there are, uh, you know, certain infrastructure that the government has invested in uh, with the encouragement of the uh, regulator. Uh, and the regulator themselves have put in some uh, infrastructure in place, like uh, we have real-time uh, payments, which is fast, uh, which is a payment rail in Singapore. Uh, so your interbank payment within Singapore is real time. So you can, uh, it's like actually, uh, you know, you don't have to wait 24 hours to see the money come in. It happens instantly, right? So uh, uh, I think I will cite a very classic example, which has been uh, spoken of in, right. in the last two, three years, which has been uh, the 
UPI or the Unified Payment Interface uh, or the initiative uh, in in mm-hmm. in India, right? So uh, India is a huge, you know, it's one of the, uh, you know, it's a uh, it's a country with over a billion people uh, in terms of population, the mm-hmm. second largest populated place on the planet, right after China. Yeah. So uh, to to uh, and and you know one of the highlights in the last uh, you know decade has been that uh, uh, a large majority of people in that country uh, are now um, you know have an, have access to financial services so they can send and receive payments without even having a bank account so uh, something that uh, you know is also happening in africa uh, you know mobile wallets have taken um uh, uh you know taken a very strong uh, acceptance in the marketplace uh, or likings uh, if you will uh, where uh, one can i mean that's a form of financial uh, service provision where i necessarily do not have to go and open a bank account but i still can store money somewhere uh, and that's your wallet right so right. Uh, so coming back to upi in india i guess uh, they have uh, put together two things they have put in a, a a database a national you know a resident uh, database they call it the aadhar which which allows for and they have taken it one step beyond where it identifies uh, you know uh, your f- uh, fingerprint scanning and and all that so which uh, which not in every country that has a social security system or a or a uh, uh, you know or, or a population database so to speak yep. uh, does not always allow for all aspects or all parameters to be covered mm-hmm. but uh, having that is a good thing because uh, you know for me to validate when a when i onboard a certain customer uh, you know either to give him a loan or him or her a loan or open a account uh, you know i want to know that the customer i, I want to know all the credentials of the customer and uh rather than having them fill out each and every line item uh, which uh, i'm mandated to collect from them in as part of kyc right know your customer i can actually pull that information using an api call uh, to that database and i would get everything you know i right. would get their date of birth i would get where they live their phone numbers their how much tax they have paid and so on and so forth that will allow me to uh, make a more informed and a you know and a good decision in terms of whether i'm either giving them an account uh, or whether i'm giving them uh, as a financial institution a loan or whatever it might be right i would know whether they are a student or whether they are a uh, employed or uh, you know or, or whether they uh, are uh, you know alive or not you know because these databases are always updated uh and then then you know conventionally there is always in every country there's been a credit bureau or there've been multiple credit bureaus that assess credit risk you know of how many loans uh, uh, an individual takes so all that information can be made avail uh, available uh, to anybody uh, who has uh, the right to that information uh using uh, you know uh, having a set of apis and making those api calls so uh you know to answer your question these were two approaches that have that we have seen predominantly in the market a very market driven approach or a regulatory approach and in the market driven approach the difference only is that the problems 
not necessarily would be the same. So in uh, in many countries like Indonesia or Africa or in India, it would have been predominantly uh, to uh, bring about financial inclusion. So which means everybody should be bankable. Everybody should have access to more financial services, mm-hmm. at least basic services like payments and so on. Uh, and storing of value, which is having a place where they can keep money. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, so what's the difference? By Singapore, uh, you know, Singapore doesn't need to be part of that ecosystem, right? But Because I think the only uh, unbanked, or I wouldn't call them unbanked, but uh, people who are underbanked in Singapore are uh, migrant workers who come and work in Singapore. They could be called underbanked. Uh, the underbanked uh, segment, right? Uh, so, so what warrants uh, the Singapore regulator not to take a regulatory approach? It's very simple. They are confident that they, they uh, when they put these platforms, societal platforms, uh, you know, real-time payment rails within the country, uh, you know, uh, an uh, uh, identity aggregator engine, which could be a national register by itself, Right. And then you have, um, you know, uh, and now you have private players also coming in, right? With, uh, with uh, you know, with, who support uh, KYC initiatives and all work on, uh, you know, um, on the API model. Uh, so uh, having that infrastructure does, uh, the thought process is that with that infrastructure, in place, it would only encourage for people to uh, uh, then become part of the API economy and uh, and then get creative in terms of uh, uh, you know coming up with innovation and providing better products and services uh, to the market and uh, you know um, and then there's there's a lot that's happening. Uh, I think one uh, one conversation uh, will. Uh, will be too little for us to really Definitely. share what's what's happening. I mean, there's so many things. There's buy now, pay later. There's, uh, you know, there there's loans on wallets today. Um, you know, there are uh, banks that, uh, you know, the cost of acquisition of customers has predominantly been one of the challenges uh, where banks are not able to serve uh, an entire population. You know, the best, the biggest bank in a country is not necessarily an account hold or holds accounts uh, of the entire population of that country because some of them get left behind because uh, there are two large aspects. One is the cost of onboarding that customer and then maintaining that customer for a year. Uh, And uh, banks can't afford it so uh, because the cost is too high. So so they uh, want to go digital, uh, but, but to go digital, uh, and to reduce cost, can you repurpose some of the infrastructure that you have? Uh, and, and you know, uh, when you and I have spoken to customers, uh, you know, we've said that uh, it's, the, it's the, the best way. I mean, again, it's a greenfield initiative, but mm-hmm. uh, you don't have to build an entire bank because uh, all you have to do is have a, a front end or a, a digital bank, so to speak, and at the back end, you have, uh, of course, some processors because you will need some processors. Definitely. But uh, more than that, you know, you uh, can link your uh, existing infrastructure, uh, which could be your core bank in itself, 
uh, and you know your loan management system, your credit card, and your trade finance engine, and so on, uh, uh, through APIs into the digital bank. Uh, and the cost is so low that two things happen. You can launch your digital bank very quickly, uh, just like how we've done, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, uh, what comes to my mind is Jazeel, uh, you know, how we launched Jazeel in days, not months. Indeed, uh, indeed. Uh, I, I think I can't even say weeks, you know, it, it, it justifies to just <laughs> say that we, we, uh, made a traditional bank become a digital bank in in days. So Jazeel was a very good example. Is a very good example. Uh, you know we've we've launched uh, uh, UAE's first uh, uh, you know digital bank Zand, which uh, from the time that they decided or they you know they uh, were given permission to uh, uh, launch the bank. Uh, you know, I think we have, we are already Zand is built and is ready to w work uh, as a bank. They still haven't gone. I know that they are going live very soon, but probably the only reason why they haven't gone live is because we uh, uh, reached the finishing line faster than they thought that we would. So uh, I think that's the power of technology, and the, that's exactly. the power of the thought process, and that's the power of APIs. Um, and uh, uh, and yeah, I mean, of course, one of the uh, you know things that uh, I see happening is that uh, you know, as as I did speak about new business models, uh, we are a good example of it. You know, we uh, have naturally taken the route of becoming a API aggregator. Uh, so uh, uh, a financial institution or, or a business does not need to look at, uh, you know, uh, multiple different tech players to understand how they could integrate. They All they need to do is to reach out to us. And, uh, and as I said, we have uh, 477 APIs in itself would cover, would help you build a complete bank and, and, perform most of the bank's, you know, day-to-day -day operations. But, uh, you know, our purpose of reaching 900 is also uh, having some foresight uh, to enable uh, banking apps to become super apps. So within, within your banking, mobile banking application, you could, uh, you know, Think of it as what Grab did. Grab became a, uh, you know, was a ride-hailing company. Uh, it now is in the food business. It's in the transportation business. It's in the delivery business. And now they are also into financial services, right? Yep. Uh, and they're going to become a bank very soon, right? Uh, you know, the same uh, reverse principle can be applied to a bank where, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, of course, we've signed NDA, so I can't really speak about, uh, uh, some conversations that you and I are having with some of the largest, some of the, you know, really top banks here in, in Asia Pacific. But, uh, you know, uh, if you were to look at, uh, look at it from a reverse perspective, these banks can actually, uh, take the route that they are a financial institution, the most trusted one at that. Uh, and now they can offer value added services. Uh, like ride hailing food, especially at certain discounts on their own credit cards or debit cards, depending upon uh, geolocations with integration to Google and all is API driven, right? So uh, for them to become a super app is also, uh, you know, a reality, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. so so that's a positioning. So 
there's a lot that's happening uh, and that's and primarily because uh, like i said you know infrastructure uh, or api as an infrastructure has been uh, you know something that's uh, uh, it's a work in progress but we've come a long way uh, and there are these platforms that we are today making use of and uh, i think in another conversation we can speak a little more about this and uh, really a lot uh, that's happening not only from uh, an api perspective but predominantly api perspective but also you know how uh, these digital uh, banks you know reducing the cost of onboarding and maintaining customers and thereby uh, making financial services available uh, and also looking at the concept of how banks can um, uh, since they're the most uh, they have one uh, you know customer trust uh, you know because you're keeping your money with them uh, how can they convert that trust into different revenue streams for the bank mm -hmm. uh, is uh, and you had asked me this question in one of our conversations uh, that we you know that we have uh, at Starbucks I recall but uh, you know I thought that that I should it just came to my mind and I thought I should bring that up now because that would make for a good uh, uh, you know a conversation uh, uh, in our studios you know uh, while we while we are recording this and uh, we are sharing our thoughts uh, yeah that would be another conversation that we should visit at one at some time definitely I think that's a brilliant idea and uh, you know Samir I think you've completely you know hit every point that i was thinking about and 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 you know thank you so much for dropping all of this wisdom uh to be honest there's so much more to discuss about open banking and open api i think this is just really the tip of the iceberg um you know and i think quite importantly and i think you would agree with me on this is you know at the end of the day what we want the listeners or, or our audience to have is basically to have a strategic understanding of yes. what you know open banking initiatives look like especially around open api and open data because i think it's still a little bit vague uh, from time to time so thank you again samir uh, uh it's been it's been an absolute pleasure listening to to you speak thank you kp uh, thank you for uh, you know uh, Thank you for, you know, driving this uh, uh, and uh, yeah, we're going to we're going to have multiple conversations, but you're right. You know, the idea is to uh, help uh, everybody at, uh, out there to understand um, how things can be constructed uh, uh, and uh, and there are many things, you know, you know, uh, in some of our I think we, we came up with this idea of of talking about it, recording it, and sharing this knowledge with, uh, with our with with a larger audience, not mm -hmm. just you know uh, you, me, and a couple of our colleagues, is also because uh, we we get constantly uh, asked by customers that can this be possible, can that be possible, and I think uh, uh, you know helping people see uh, that uh, if if um, there's a lot that can be done. And I think that kind of uh, knowledge awareness that, uh, uh, you know, uh, we are in a way, as you said, we are demystifying, you know, uh, <laughs> the whole uh, API, digital banking, and all these fancy terms, exactly. which for us is a normal thing. But, you know, I, I can understand that many people outside, uh, uh, you know, our, our business, 
uh, for them, it's fancy language. So, yeah. so yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, and you know, I'm I'm really excited to continue sharing a lot more in in our episodes to come, and have these conversations with you, uh, KP, and uh, and yeah, look forward uh, to having more of them. Thanks for having me today, uh, and uh, yeah, I'll speak to you again, uh, you know, in our next round. You are very welcome, Samir. We'll definitely revisit uh, this topic again. And uh, with that, we've wrapped up the first ever episode of Disruption Demystified. Thank you so much for tuning in. I think, and- uh, KP, I just wanted to mention sure. that aren't we going live today? It's the International Podcast Day. Oh, uh, yeah. I've been given to understand. Yeah. That's, so, yeah, you're right. Yes. So, you know, <laughs> uh, all the podcasters out there, you know, Uh, I wish you uh, a very happy International Podcasting Day. Uh, Yeah, yeah, we kick off today today on a very special day, I guess. Exactly. Uh, And we were egged on, you know, by our team, uh, our marketing team, uh, you know, (laughs) Tom and Nikita, they pushed us to do this today. So uh, so it's a pleasure to to be, uh, you know, part of this uh, whole podcasting phenomenon and more so from a perspective, as you said, KP, to share uh, a lot of our knowledge to the market to help people understand better so uh, yeah, yeah i just thought i'll mention that it was yeah. <laughs> uh, it was something that it just struck me right now while we were closing out so yeah, yeah. A, a huge shout out to every <laughs> podcaster out there as well yes and to absolutely. the cbd team who made this possible uh thank you so much once yes. again <laughs> thanks so all right much, uh, it's yeah. a wrap then i guess samir so it is till, a wrap yep definitely yep. till then soon, yeah cheers take care then. and stay yep. safe all right take care everybody Take care, everyone. Bye.